Uh, man, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Misael Gonzalez, and I'm the bilingual teaching pastor here. And uh, man, let me tell you, it has been so cool to get to meet all of you in this community, in our church, but also in the community and the surrounding areas. And so it's just been so awesome. So thank you for wanting to get to know me. That is awesome, because I've only been here for like six months, uh, but it's awesome. Sometimes that feels like it's already been a year. It's like, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I'm here. And so right now, I want to make sure that I clarify something for us. So in the announcement video, you saw that we are sending off Audrey Petty John, uh, and then we're going to have not just to send off, but also this prayer time for her. Well, I want to let you know there's a little update with that. We're actually going to postpone all of that. Her trip to Gambia has been postponed. So if you were planning on being there, I just want to make sure you know, hey, you'll get more information later on when that's happening. Uh, and so also I want to let you know that our senior pastor, Chris Wall, sends his greetings. He's at our Tulsa campus right now. And him and I are preaching at the exact same time, except he's going to go 10 minutes longer than I will. So don't worry about it. Uh, and so he's preaching there right now. And if you haven't been to our Tulsa campus yet, can I just like encourage you to go? The Lord is doing so much in our church and we're one church in two locations. And it blows my mind because in the past few months, we've seen the Lord transform the life of three or four people in our Tulsa campus. So it's like, Lord, like, come on, like that is awesome. So can you just like praise the Lord for that? Man, God is so good. And when I think about that, I'm just like, Lord, you are greater than all things. And so I'm so excited for the sermon series because that's really the sermon series, is that Jesus is greater than. And so as we look at the sermon series, we're going to turn our eyes to the book of Colossians to see, okay, Lord, what do you have for us in the book of Colossians? Because truly, as we understand who Jesus is, it's like, Lord, like you are the one who made a way for us. You're the one who renews my soul. You're the one who gives me hope. And so... There's one thing, honestly, that I wish and I hope that you guys take from this entire series. Like, if you don't take one thing out of this entire series, I hope this is the only thing. That if you add Jesus plus nothing, that equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If there's anything that you hear me say today, I hope that is it right there. And so I preached here about a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and I totally meant to show you my family, and I totally forgot. So please <laughs> forgive me. Because I'm new, it's like, hey, it'd be great to show you my family. So I want to show you my family right now. So this first picture we have on the screen is my whole family. So we have uh, my mom and my stepdad, my dad, stepmom. I have my aunts, and then I have my uncle, who's the white guy who doesn't fit in over there in the top right corner with sunglasses. He's also really tall, and I'm not, so he just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. So that's my whole family. I love them. I cherish them so much. But then we have some new additions to the family. So I want to show you the next picture. Oh, man, look at these guys. Look at these guys. So the little baby, his name is Rafael. And then the one holding him, his name is Sebastian. And so those are my two little cousins. I love them so much. They're so tiny, but then so wild all at the same time. And then my beautiful aunt, she's also there helping uh, hold the baby. So I love these guys. And then I have to brag on my mom. Can I just brag on my mom real quick? So look at that. Oh, she's so beautiful. I love my mom so much. So as you look at this picture, I want to let you know, my parents were divorced, and so I actually grew up more with my mom. Uh, and so growing up when I was little, I, I really didn't understand everything that my mom did. 
But as I got older, and maybe you have this experience as well, as I got older, I realized, mom, you do so much. Like you go to work, you clean, you cook, you make my lunchbox, you do this, you do that. When do you sleep? Like, like when do you find time to do that? Like when do you have time to rest? And, and I was like, mom, that's crazy. And so it was fascinating that as I grew up, the more I knew about my mom and who she was and what she did, the more it inspired me to say, mom, thank you. Mom, I really appreciate you. So it inspired me to, do all, to say all these things to my mom because I realized, whoa, what you do and who you are is much bigger than I thought. And if you think about that, that's exactly what we're going to see in this passage. Because what I knew of my mom inspired me to just say, mom, thank you. So it's the same thing with the Lord. The more we know of God and who God is, the more it inspires us to worship him. In other words, you could say our theology inspires doxology. And theology is this word that summarizes what we know of God. And doxology summarizes our worship of God. And that's really our sermon idea for this morning is that, doc, that theology inspires doxology. And so will you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 starting in verse 15. And as you get there, you might already be there. I want to give you just some quick context of what is happening in Colossians. And so there at the beginning of chapter 1 of Colossians, we see that uh, Paul heard from this man named Epaphras. And he heard from him saying, Paul, like the people that, that we were able to reach in Colossae, like they're loving each other. And, and they're like staying faithful to who Jesus is in spite of all these false teachings. And man, I, they're growing. And so that first chapter, the first, first couple of verses in chapter 1, that's what you see Paul communicating. He's like, man, my prayer for you is that you would grow in the knowledge of the will of God and that you would grow in, through all wisdom and understanding. So this is Paul's entire encouragement. And one thing that's really important for us to see as we go into Colossians 1, 15 to 17 is that Paul is doing what he can to respond to the false teaching that is happening in this area. And this false teaching can be classified as heresy. And so heresy really is anything that goes against the authoritative word of God. Anything that is not what the Lord has already said. And so one of the heresies that we see going on in this time is called Gnosticism. And so Gnosticism has like tons of layers, and so I'm not going to get into it. But the biggest thing about Gnosticism is that they think like the physical matter, like anything physical, is evil. And it's so interesting because they went as far as to saying that Jesus wasn't even human. And they just thought he was some angel or some ghost. And so this is really interesting as we keep this in mind because we're going to see the way that Paul says things and responds to things is saying, yeah, that's wrong. And I'm going to show you why. Let me tell you, we could spend like a whole sermon on just verse 15, just verse 16, and just verse 17. But we're not going to do that. We're going to spend about 30 minutes on those three verses. And so if you have found your place in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to go ahead and read starting in verse 15. It says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, 
and in him all things hold together. As we look at these couple of verses, the textual idea that we see in here is that as Paul continues in his letter, he paints a precise picture of how Jesus, the Son of God, is above all things. That Jesus is above all things, which ties in back to our sermon idea that theology inspires doxology. And so this morning, we're going to see three powerful characteristics of who the Son is. And then we're going to see two realities of what that means for us and for our lives. And so the first thing that we see, this first characteristic that we see in verse 15 is this, is that the Son is the author. So if you're taking notes, write that down with me. The Son is the author. I'm going to focus in on that first part of uh, verse 15. But really quick, I want to show you that verse 15 to verse 20, a lot of scholars think that this is actually a song or a hymn. And this song and this hymn really shows us this relationship between Jesus and creation and Jesus and redemption. And it's fascinating to think that they think it's a song because I think you and I memorize things better when it's put into music. And so how important was this and all this theological depth for them to put it in a song or in a hymn kind of way. Because there's so much to dive into. And so we're going to dive into it uh, really deep as much as we can this morning. And then we're going to come back up if that's okay. So the first part says that the sun is the image of the invisible God. This is so interesting. You might be asking yourself, what does that even mean? What does it mean to be the image of God? Well, you see, if, if you look at the Greek, there's this Greek word that is used for image that's called akon. And really, this word carries two elements to it. The first element says that this word really resembles that Jesus is in the likeness of God. Jesus is in the likeness of God. In other words, you could say that Jesus is, a, is the representation of God. And not just that, but Jesus is the perfect and exact representation of who Jesus is because he is Jesus. And we see kind of the same verbiage in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 where it, it word for word says that Jesus is the exact representation. When we look at this, you could really say that in Christ, the invisible God became visible. In Christ, the invisible God became visible. Jesus was of the same substance and essence of God. And we're going to get into that a little bit later, but this is really, really powerful. Because not only is Jesus this perfect and exact representation of God, but he's also the exact and perfect manifestation of God. And now this word manifestation also is this word that's like, okay, like what do you even mean by that? Well, this word manifestation means that Jesus was the exact presence of God on earth. That God came in such a way that helped our, our little human minds understand with our limitations who God is and why God is. It's like, oh my goodness, like I can actually see God even though I'm so limited. Because if, if we're honest as humans, we really need things to be dumbed down a lot of the times. At least I do. And it's like, man, God, I was so inadequate to see you and then you came down to me. And it's fascinating to see that the scripture says that the sun is the image of the invisible God. Because if you think back to Israel, Israel was commanded, hey, don't make any images that resemble God. Because God is so much more, and we don't want to confine the concept of God to like a table or a statue or some cow. 
It's like, no, Jesus is so much more. And we want you to have this view of God that is ever expanding. And so it's fascinating, right, to think that we would see Jesus, the Son of God, as the image of God. So I want to make sure we kind of differentiate some things. We, as human beings, are made in the image of God, but Jesus is the image of God. There is a great differentiation between that. Because Jesus had to be God, but he also had to be completely human. Theologians call this the hypostatic nature of Jesus, which is this fancy word to say 100% man, 100% God. But the reason he had to be that is because if he wasn't 100% man, then there's no way he could have been the sacrifice for us. There's no way that he could have taken our place and died a death that we deserve. Absolutely no way. And if he wasn't 100% God, there was no way that he could satisfy the divine wrath that God had towards sin. And so he had to be that perfect sacrifice in both sense of the word. When you think of Jesus as the manifestation and the representation, man, this is crazy cool to think that Jesus was God among us. He was crazy. And so I don't know if you're still with me. I know like when we talk about that, you're like, my brain, it hurts. So let me help you just a little bit understand what we mean by like this image. And so I'm going to show you a picture of my brother, uh, myself, and then my dad. Yes, nice. So this is a picture that we took. If you can see on my dad's sunglasses, he, he's the one who took the selfie. He's the one who like extended the arm. And so this is my brother Caleb and I with my dad. You can say that my brother Caleb and I bear the image of our father, that guy. But if my dad are right here, which he's actually in our Tulsa campus running sound, you could say that that is the exact representation of my dad. And so really that's what Paul is saying. He's like, man, that is the exact representation of God. Like when you see him, you see God. But here's where this analogy and this illustration really falls apart. Because if this were to be like a for reals illustration that was like true to the sense, my dad would have to like jump out of that screen or jump out of the screen into your home and be like, hey, what's up? While still being in Tulsa running sound. And it's like, okay, that doesn't make sense. Same person, different places. It's like, yeah, but they're one in the same essence and substance. And you're like, uh, 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 uh. Yeah, that's God. I don't know what to tell you. So it's just interesting, but I hope that helps you understand what I mean by the image of God. Because that is who Jesus is, and that's so powerful. And so let's look at this second part of verse 15, where it talks about that Jesus is the firstborn above all creation. I hope you're noticing a trend here that, at least in the NIV, it uses this word all five times. From verse 15 to 17. It's just kind of crazy. So we see that Jesus is the firstborn above all creations. We have to be really, 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 really careful with this. Because there's some people that have read this, and they're like, man, Jesus was the first thing ever created. And it's like, no, that's a big no-no. Like, no, like big no-no. Because that is a complete heresy. That is, goes against everything that the authoritative word of God says. So what does it mean that Jesus is firstborn? Well, we have to look at it in the context in which it was written. So this word firstborn... It has a lot to, it, it comes from this Jewish culture where if you're the firstborn, it really means you're the first in rank, you're the first in importance, you're the first in priority. And we see that Israel is sometimes even referred to as a firstborn. We see it in Exodus 4, Jeremiah 31. 
And then if you look even a little bit deeper, you see that David is sometimes referenced in Psalm, the firstborn of the kings on earth. It doesn't mean that David was the first king ever to be born in all of creation. No, it means that he had first rank and, and first priority and first importance. And that's really what we see in this verse, that where Paul in, his, in this Jewish culture signifying that Jesus is distinguished between everything else. That Jesus is, is, is a part and unique to his relationship to creation. And so this is really important because to be firstborn of all creation means that you're the first rank of all creation. You're the first in honor, the first in privilege. And so really Jesus has this unique supremacy with his creation, also being just the supreme mediator of all creation. And so that's really important for us to digest. And so the first thing that we saw in this verse is that the son is the author. And then we're going to go to verse 16. So not only is the son the author, but the son is the creator. The son is the creator. In verse 16 it says, For in him all things were created, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. You see, Jesus can be the highest rank over all creation because he created it. He is the creator. He is the author of it. And so he has supremacy over all things, both the things that we can see and both the things that we can't see. Again, remember how we talked about that Paul was really trying to respond to the Gnosticism that was going on in this time. Well, see, the Gnostics, because they thought that all material was evil, they were like, you know what? The greatest beings that we can see or not see are those that are invisible. And really they're talking about these heavenly authorities, heavenly rulers, heavenly powers, heavenly thrones, or at least spiritual thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities. But you see, Paul is saying here like, no, Jesus is greater than the visible and invisible powers, authorities, rulers, and thrones. When we think about this, that Jesus is the creator, if we look at Genesis, when we see that God created his word, right? But then you look at John 1, it says that the word is Jesus, clearly tying those two passages together. of saying that if it wasn't for Jesus, things wouldn't be created because it says there at the very beginning that in him, things were created. That he is the one that that you could say conceive the complexity of all of creation. You could even say that without Jesus, we would have chaos rather than a cosmos. He's the one who set things in order and it was in him, which is amazing because it sets him apart from everything. You see, Jesus is one of the persons of the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that is really important because that's how Jesus, that's how God has absolutely shown himself in scripture. And this is really important for us because we have to recognize that Jesus is distinct from everything else. He is distinct. And, and if you think about it, because there are three persons with distinct character and distinct plans, well, the father, you could call him almost like the architect of creation. And, and the son is the one that brought the plans into existence. And then the Holy Spirit was the hands-on, like, all right, let's do this thing. We're going to apply the plans that have been made. So not only is it in Jesus, but we also see this other word that it's through Jesus. 
It's through his power and through his ability in which everything was made and all creation owes their existence to him. Do you get that? All existence owes their existence because of Jesus. They owe it to him. And so Paul is saying all of these things and and our theme is greater than. And so I hope you hear me say that Jesus is not greater than or equal to. No, no, no. Jesus is greater than everything, period. There's not a sentence after that. Jesus is greater than. And so in light of all of this, in light of all of verse 16, this led me, and I hope it leads us, to go and to look in a mirror and say, Misael, Jesus is greater than you. Jesus is greater than you. Jesus is greater than me. Jesus is greater than us. And this is something that I hope we grasp and that we swallow because honestly, there is God as in creator and then there's creation and that's it. There's no in between. It's only your God or you're not. Either your creator or your creation, period. That's how it is. And it was only God, the creator, God, the author, in which could truly come to our own filth and make himself known to pay a sacrifice for our sins. You know, Jesus was sinless. We are very sinful. Jesus could always choose God. Sometimes it seems like we can never choose God. That is who Jesus was. He was perfect. He was blameless. He was greater than all things. He professed to be the I am, signifying that he was always in existence. It's incredible to think about that. And as we look, you can really see that and all things have been created through him. And then what does it say? For him. That means that all of creation was created for the glorification of Jesus. Creation was created for the glory of him. And so if all of creation was was made for him, I'm going to find my purpose in Jesus. Wasn't I created for him? I'm going to find my significance with Jesus. I'm going to find my meaning with Jesus. I'm going to find my satisfaction in Jesus. I'm going to find my life in Jesus. I'm going to find my completeness in the King because Jesus is the King. Now, I don't know. I might be the only one, but have you ever thought of yourself as like the King and the Queen of, of like your own little world? Or like the king and the queen of like Owasso or Skytook. You see, it's, it's hilarious to think about that because we think of ourselves of ki- like kings and queens of a world we didn't even create. How foolish are we? How foolish are we to think that we are kings and queens of something we didn't create? You see, Jesus is the king because he authored it. He created it. He is the one in which, in which we put all our faith in. And so we're left with two options. We're left with two options if Jesus really is the author and the creator. And it's, and it's these two things because the reality. Either you ignore him or you adore him. You either ignore him or you adore him. Those are your only two options as we look at this text and as we look at what God has done 
in and through and for Jesus. So we've seen that the Son is the author. We've seen that the Son is the creator. And the next thing that we see is that the Son is the sustainer. This is huge. This is huge for us to say that the Son is the sustainer. So look at verse 17 with me. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is before all things. That means that there was never, ever a moment that the Son didn't exist. There was never a moment where Jesus was not in existence. There just wasn't. And this is just so interesting for us to think about because it's like, Lord, like, we owe all of our existence to you, but how does this work? There's this theological term that, that, that people use, scholars used, called homoousios. And this term has a lot to do with trying to describe God in a creaturely language of saying he is one in three persons. And I know I hit on that a little bit, but I want to give you some more specifics of why we say that and why we believe that. If you look at Genesis, Genesis, you see that every part of the Trinity, every part of the three persons of God played a role in that. If you look at the ministry and the life of Jesus, you see that every person of the Trinity was present at the baptism of Jesus. You had God the Father, and then you had the Holy Spirit ascending down like a dove to Jesus in the water. The Lord has revealed himself in that way, and, and they're one in essence. That means they're one. That's, that means we can say, like, Lord, even though you're in three distinct persons, you're still one. Like, the exact one. Trying to wrap your mind around that is crazy. But there's this philosophical term that people use that God is the greatest conceivable thing. Meaning that there's nothing else that we can conceive that is greater than God. Because if, it, if we could, then that thing would be God. But I'm so grateful that God has shown himself in such a way that we can understand enough to put our trust in him and to surrender to him, to be complete in him. But man, there's a lot we don't know to the fullest. That's like, Lord, that really leads me to just praise you, which is our whole reason for our sermon idea because it's like, Lord, the more I know of you, the more I'm like, wow. All I can do is just worship. That is why what we know of God inspires us to worship God because he is above all things and before all things. And we can say that Jesus is the sustainer because he does sustain us. You could say that the work of creation included the continual sustaining of what was created. Man, he continues to do that. The creator, the author, the sustainer has not forgot about us. He loves us. Man, that is a really, really cool thing. And so as we look at verse 17, we have to understand that not only are we looking in the mirror saying that Jesus is greater than you, but we also have to realize that Jesus is greater than glue. And you might be saying, Misael, what in the world do you mean by glue? What does that even mean? I'm really glad you asked. Great question. Let me ask you this. What are you using in your life to piece yourself back together? What are you using in your life to piece your heart back together? 
What kind of glue do you use when you feel like your entire life is just falling apart? I bet you it's not Elmer's. What kind of glue do we use when we feel we're shattered? Let me list some things off for you. Here's some, here's some glues that I could think of. Our friends, status, possessions, success, food, our children, fake happiness, fake social media posts, relationships, people, sex, power, pleasure. What glue are we turning to when we feel like everything is falling apart? Because if we're being honest with ourselves right now, if I'm being honest with myself, we all live wounded. We all live struggling with something. We all live battling something. We all live with some kind of pain in our life, with some kind of hurt in our life. And I just want to ask you, why are we not allowing the Lord to be the one that holds us together? Like if he has the power to hold all things together, don't you think he might have the power to hold you together? I love the way in which the the Spanish translators translate this very last part. Because the way that they translate it, and I won't say it in Spanish for you, but the way they translate it is that Jesus, in Jesus, all things continue to exist. In Jesus, all things continue to exist. He is the reason for our existence, and we owe that to him. Some of you might have seen this sermon, or some of you might have seen this series. I'm not sure if it was on VHS or CD. I'm not sure how long ago it was. But there's this guy, and his name is Louis Giglio. And he's some preacher guy. You might know him. He's kind of famous. And he had this really, uh, it was just awesome sermon and sermon series called Indescribable. And in this whole thing, he begins to compare if earth was a golf ball and he just goes out to the expanse. But then he makes the reverse. And what's so fascinating is that in his story, and this is his story to tell, not mine. But in his story, he talks about how he was about to preach in this, in this very passage, 15 to 17. And for some reason, he was talking to a molecular biologist and, or a microbiologist. And he was like, yeah, you know, I'm preaching over 15 to 17. And this, this biologist, he was, he was a Christian. He goes, dude, you got to tell him about laminin. You have to tell your people about laminin. And Louis was like, bro, what is, what is laminin? He's like, bro, you don't know about laminin? He's like, bro, I don't. He's like, go look it up. When you get home, go look up laminin. Like, you have to. And so Louis's like, all right, all right. So he goes, goes home, looks up laminin, and he goes, I need to tell all of my people about laminin. All of them. And so you might be asking, Misael, what's laminin? Well, from what I got from Louis, Louis Giglio, is that, and he got from the smart guy, laminin has two functions. The first function is to tell your cells what to do. Like the cells in your body, it tells it what to do. Like it bosses your cells around. 
The next thing that laminin does is that it holds the cells together. Like this is the protein that holds your, cell, that holds your cells together so they don't pull apart. And so Louis saw this and he understood Jesus holds all things together. I want to show you this picture of laminate. Check this out. Does that look familiar to anybody? Does that look like anything that resembles anything, like maybe like the cross in which our Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins, for our place, to cleanse us and to clean us? It's not any coincidence. I really don't think it is because God is a God of the big picture, but also the God of the details. Whoa. So now this is just, you know, a, a design, but let me show you like an actual microscopic picture of what this looks like. Check that out. When I see that, I'm like, Lord, whoa. Forgive me where I have just forgotten that you actually do hold all things together. And you use things like this for a silly little human like me to remind me, you got this. And so when we pray, we are crying out to the Lord who holds all things together. He's the author and the creator and the sustainer of all things. And that is who we are absolutely praying to and worshiping and crying out to. And here's my question. In light of all of that, is the Lord supreme in your life? Is the Lord the absolute authority in your life? Like, are you trusting him for the day to day? Are you believing in him in the day to day? Are you being made complete in him day to day? Are you depending on him day to day? That's my question because the Lord is our shepherd. And when we have him, we lack nothing. Remember, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We lack nothing in him. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to exchange worry for prayer. I'm going to exchange fear for prayer. I'm going to exchange these thoughts that, I'm have, that I have for prayer. I'm going to exchange these burdens that I have for prayer, understanding who God is and because who God is that inspires me to worship him. So I'm going to exchange all of these for him. And when I think about that, all I can fathom to say in my mind is, God, how great thou art. How great thou art. And that reminds me of the hymn, that very last portion, right? When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I will bow in humble adoration, and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to stay on my knees. And if you're willing and if you're able, will you get on your knees with me? In light of who we have just seen that Jesus is, and as you get on your knees, 
And take a moment to breathe in, to worship the Lord. Breathe in and, and pray his adoration. Adore him. Give him those things that you're like, Lord, I am broken and I need you to put me back together because you are my ultimate glue. You're the glue of my life. And so take this moment to surrender to him. Cry out to him. Lord, you are the author, the creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer of all things. In you, we have salvation. In you, we are transformed. In you, we are made from, from death to life. In you, we are made new creations. And so, Lord, we bow before you, saying that you are worthy to be the king of all kings. Lord, you are greater than me. You're greater than my situation. Lord, you're greater than all things. Jesus, we trust you. Thank you for reminding us that you are truly above all things, whether we see it or we don't. Father, I pray that if there's someone in this room right now who's like, man, I really need Jesus in my life to transform me, to complete me, to make me new, to cleanse me because I am so sinful and I've done so many bad. Lord, I pray that they would find forgiveness today, that they would find their Lord today, that they'd find their Savior today. Lord, we humbly, humbly worship you understanding who you are and that you are beyond who we are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.